Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book In My Father's House by Corey Tinboom, with permission of Light Trails Publishing and the Tinboom Foundation. And we are reading Chapter 6, Around the Oval Table. Can a piece of furniture be important? The oval table in our dining room was the gathering place for hopes and dreams, the listening place for prayers and petitions, and the loving place for joy and laughter. But Sunday, it was something more. It was a special place for family and friends. Sunday was an important day for us. It was a day when everything from the clothing we wore to the spoons we used was distinctive. My Sunday dress was the new one I received for Christmas, so I seldom had a choice about what I would wear to church. Tantiana would work magic with that dress, adding a colored sash or a ribbon in a way that improved my rather careless appearance. It was another of her small gifts of service which said, I care. When we were ready for church, Father would lead the way to St. Bavo while we trailed along trying not to scuff our shoes or soil our Sunday outfits. After church, it was good to go home, especially when the weather was chilly, for St. Bavo's was unheated and there were days when my teeth would chatter through the entire service. At home, I would help with the Sunday dinner, first by smoothing a beautiful white cloth over the oval table. I tried to do it carefully because I knew that Betsy wanted it to hang evenly, and it was a great desire of mine to meet her standards. Everything about Betsy was neat, and I was, oh well, just Corey. Good work, Corey, she would say, and that was all I needed to encourage me for the rest of the day. The delicate china, which had been brought from Indonesia by father's older sister, Tante Tu's, and Tante Jan's ornate silver service, a gift from wealthy members of her husband's church, were placed on the table. Then Tante Anna would emerge from the kitchen, wiping her hands on her generous apron. She used to cover her black silk dress and ring a little bell. Come to dinner, everyone. And when we were seated, Father would remove his fresh Sunday napkin from its holder, place it carefully on his lap, and bow his head. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day and for this family. Bless this food. Bless our Queen. And let soon come the day that Jesus, your beloved Son, comes on the clouds of heaven. Amen. Our table talk on Sunday sometimes centered around the sermon we had heard, but usually Father was cautious not to say too much. He attended the cathedral near our home because he felt that God had called him to that place, but he didn't hold any position in the church. His views were not accepted by the liberal thinkers who were in positions of leadership. Conversations around the dinner table were lively because we had stories and experiences we wanted to share. I believe the great enjoyment of the family eating together is having this time when each person can be heard. Father had a special talent in directing our talks so that no one would feel left out. We love to tell personal stories, but we're taught to laugh at ourselves and not to make fun of others. I remember one time when Noli was telling about a painting she had done in school. I thought the drawing was rather good, Noli said, but when Mr. Van Arken walked around to my desk, he held up my picture and looked at it one way and then another, scrowling all the time. Maybe he just wanted to get a better view, Betsy offered. I'm afraid that wasn't his reason, Noli answered. Studies were important in our family, so each one of us received special attention when we talked about school. What did Mr. Van Arken say, Noli, mother asked. He said, do you know which proverb your drawing reminds me, Noli Tinboom? I told him, disgraced is he who thinks wrong of it. It's from a motto on the badge of knighthood. 
Boy, did Mr. Van Arkel laugh. Nolly's eyes twinkled when she told the story. Father really enjoyed a good joke, as long as the girls didn't giggle. Laughter he loved, but giggling was verboten, forbidden. On Sunday afternoons, we frequently had visitors who would stop for a cup of tea in conversation. Sometimes we would go for a walk, but we didn't study, sew, or work on the Lord's Day. The only work allowed was winding the watches, which were in the shop for repair. Father said, even on Sunday, I must milk my cows. Father's friends. Fellowship around the oval table was more than just a family affair. Throughout the years, there were many people, young, old, rich, poor, who contributed so much to the richness of my childhood. I loved to have some of Father's friends visit our home because they laughed a lot and always told wonderful stories. When Father was a young man in Amsterdam, he worked in a mission called Erdesvolt, which was in a very poor part of the city. There were three other men who gave their time and energy to this particular outreach, and they all became fast friends. The four men would meet often, sharing their burdens and triumphs, studying the Bible together and discussing many topics of interest. As a child, I was always happy when they came to our house. It was a time when I loved to listen to the conversations of these great friends and learn from their experiences. The children were always welcome to stay during their discussions and encouraged to participate if we had something we wanted to ask. I can still remember the fragrant mixture of cologne and good Dutch cigars which lingered in the room. Witz Verma was a rather round Dutchman who loved to joke. He was Uncle Fritz to us, just as the other good friends were Uncle Dirk and Uncle Hendrik. One of the first things Father would do when his friends arrived was to bring out the box of cigars from its place in the desk, where the bulky ledger of the shop was kept. From his pocket, he would take his special cigar clipper, which had keys for winding the clocks on the other side. It was a very important tool, and many children over a span of half a century sat on his lap and played with it. Uncle Hendrick was considered the theologian of the group and was constantly being challenged for a Bible verse to meet some situation or problem. He was seldom at loss when asked to quote something appropriate for the occasion. Uncle Dirk, the fourth member of the group, was the only one who wasn't married. However, he loved children very much and was able to express that love in a special way. On one occasion when Father's friends were discussing their concerns, Uncle Dirk was anxious to tell about an orphanage where he was on the board of directors. I sat up and listened carefully because children without parents bothered me so much. I thought how terrible it would be not to have the love of a father and mother. I decided to become the father of the orphanage, Uncle Dirk announced. I've been on the board of directors arguing for a better conditions for those poor children, but I have not seen any positive results. I must get in there and work myself. Father was delighted. Dirk, this is certainly the leading of the Lord for you. He has not given you a wife, but he's going to bless you with many, many children. We will pray about it. Father would begin to pray with his friends in an attitude which was so easy and natural that the conversation never seemed to stop. It would flow easily from friend to friend to the Lord. Many times through the years I remember the wonderful moments I had listened to the stories and experiences of Father's friends. There is a proverb which says, Thine own friends, thy father's friend, forsake not. Proverbs 27.10 I have often thought how wise that is. Bible study was a game. With the dishes cleared away and kitchen duties accomplished, the oval table would be turned into a place for games. We didn't play cards, for that was considered a form of gambling, but we had the lasting enjoyment in the type of games which taught us something. 
Different languages were introduced as a game, not as a forced study. When I was in the fourth grade, we began to learn French. As I remember, I love the melodious sounds of this beautiful language, but it was and remained a difficult language for me. The next year, I started English, which was easier, but I wondered as I struggled with all the different English meanings for words if I would ever go to England or America and have an opportunity to use the language. Father wanted me to learn English well, and he gave me a little Sunday school booklet in English, which was called There's No Place Like Home. I read it over and over again. The greatest fun in language learning came during our Bible study. The entire family would take part, each one of us having a Bible in a different language. William usually had the original in Hebrew and Greek. I would have the English, Mother the Dutch, Noli the French, or Betsy or Father German. It was a special and joyous time for us. Father would begin by asking what John 3.16 was in English. I would answer from my English Bible, Mother from her Dutch Bible, and Betsy would reply in German. When I was so young, it didn't seem possible that Betsy would ever have a chance to use a Bible verse in German. We didn't know any Germans then. However, God uses such seemingly insignificant ways to prepare us for the plan he has for our lives. Over 40 years later in a concentration camp in Germany, Betsy was able to use that verse and many more to speak to the prisoners and the guards about God's love. When Father prayed, Every room in our house heard our prayers, but the oval table probably experienced more conversations with the Lord than any other place. Praying was never an embarrassment for us, whether it was with a family together or when a stranger came in. Father prayed because he had a good friend to talk over the problems of the day. He prayed because he had a direct connection with his maker when he had a concern. He prayed because there was so much for which he wanted to thank God. When Father talked with the Lord, it was serious, but unpretentious. He talked to someone he knew. Once we had a minister in our house, and when his visit was over, Father prayed, Thank you, Lord, for such a good day. We hope everyone goes together in the same way. The minister left with a puzzled expression on his face. Could this be the Casper Ten Boom so many of his parishioners told him had such a deep understanding of God's word? God always prayed before and after each meal. He included two things in his prayer, the Queen and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The knowledge and anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ was given to me by Father during one of those quiet, thoughtful times before I went to sleep as a small child. As for the Queen, patriotism and loyalty were an accepted way of thinking in our house, as it was in most Dutch homes. However, I never thought that the prayers of the little tin boom girl would be answered in such unusual ways. Me, a guest of the Queen? Not me. It was the year 1956, more than half a century after I first heard Father pray for the Queen. I was in Formosa with Dr. Bob Pierce, a man whose outreach of love and concern has spread throughout the world. He said to me one day, Corey, I believe it would be a good idea for you to talk with the queen of your country. Bob is an American, and I forgave him for not understanding about proper protocol with members of royalty. How ridiculous, I thought. Bob, you don't know what you're saying. I can't go see the queen. He looked at me gently and said, just pray about it. And so I did. Wilhelmina had been queen through two world wars. Her reign had spanned two generations, and now she had abdicated, given her position of monarchy to her only daughter, who is our Queen Juliana. Wilhelmina chose to have the title of princess from that moment on. 
When I was back in my homeland, I wrote to Princess Wilhelmina and said that I would like to meet her. The day after my letter was delivered, the princess sent her car to pick me up. I sat in the backseated limousine, enjoying every kilometer from Harlem to where her palace was. Wouldn't father have loved this, I thought. All these years he prayed for the queen, and here is his daughter, Corey, visiting Queen Wilhelmina herself. One amazing thing after another happened. I was given the opportunity of speaking with the queen and meeting all the people in the palace. After a few hours, I had to tell Princess Wilhelmina that I had to leave for some meetings that were planned in Germany. She looked at me and said, I expected you to stay several weeks here. You're just staying a few hours? Why are you going to Germany? The war had been over for more than 10 years, but its memories were still vivid to many Hollanders. I must go to Germany, Your Highness, because God has called me to tell them of his love and forgiveness. She dismissed what I was saying with a wave of her hand, but later when I returned once more to Holland, she sent word for me to come and stay in the palace for a longer time. I was allowed on that visit one hour each evening with Princess Wilhelmina. She said, I'm too old for too much, so we may either eat together or talk for an hour. I chose the last part and had my meals with her lady-in-waiting afterwards. Princess Philomena knew her Bible very well, and we enjoyed those hours in her lovely private chamber. She gave me the opportunity to tell her of the miracle God had worked in my life to forgive my enemies. I believe that in some way, something of the Father's prayers many, many years before were answered, when God allowed the daughter of a watchmaker to carry his message of love to the queen. I had a happy time of fellowship with many people in that palace. I had personal contact with most of them when we talked about the most important person, our Lord Jesus Christ. But the happiest moment of each day were the hours with that great lady who had reigned over our little country in a time when two world wars had wounded Europe. Next time, it will be Chapter 7, 17, and so much to learn. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.